Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yes. Yes, that's true. We are. Well, I mean, that's it. That's it. I was going to say, do we have anyone to thank, but we... I was thinking in my head of as well. Well, let's just thank everybody. Let's just thank you. Oh, I thought you were thanking me. Oh, yes. I'll thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's just thank Seth for all that he's done. Yes, all that I do. Zach doesn't get any thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna list people I wanna thank. I wanna thank I wanna thank my brother. I wanna thank Peter Molyneux. I wanna thank Jim Rayner. And those are the people I wanna thank. Yeah. In that order. <laughs> From okay to most important. <laughs> well, I have I have my own people that I wanna thank. Okay. It's gonna start with Jim Rayner and then it's gonna go to Peter Molyneux. Wow. And that's it that's it. Anyway, uh so Zach <laughs> Yes. Sir. What have you been recently been playing? Well, Seth, last week I was playing Wolfenstein: The New Order, and this week I've been playing Wolfenstein: The New Colossus. Did you beat the New Order? I did beat the New Order. I did like Wolfenstein: The New Order. I've played it before. This is like my second or third full playthrough. I've just been in like a Wolfenstein mood, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. And Wolfenstein the New Colossus is also a very good game. Uh, This is also my second, I think, playthrough. And it came out in 2017. It was made by Machine Games, published by Bethesda Softworks. And uh, yeah, it's like a direct sequel. Literally takes place like, it's like a few minutes after the ending of the first game. And then there is a slight time jump. Your character goes into a coma. uh, And then you wake up a few months later and the ship that you're on is under attack. And you must defend it, but you can't walk because you've been lying down for a few months. And you don't have muscle strength in your life anymore so like the whole opening of the game is you confined to a wheelchair with like dual machine pistols as you're like blasting your way through swarms of nazis oh yeah then it gets weird this game gets weird fast it pretty much takes everything about a new order and just like cranks that dial up to 11 but yeah i actually really like it i kind of like the weird elements to it i really like the hub of the of the game so in new order you kind of had a hub that you would go back to every now and then but you didn't spend a lot of time on it and that was the uh, resistance base but in the new colossus you have a much more centralized hub which is this commandeered u-boat that your character stole in the first game and now that you have as your main base and it's uh actually kind of like a nice area to just walk around and listen to like the various npcs talk because the npcs will all communicate with each other um there's also a cafeteria slash like bar that they set up that has an arcade cabinet in it that you can play and the arcade cabinet 
it has a full version of wolfenstein 3d the original but alternate universe style yeah so it's you play as a german soldier escaping an american castle and at the end of the game you have to kill bj blaskovitz who is like instead of mecha hitler uh and it's called wolfstone 3d and i think we talked about that when we did our wolfenstein episode it's the complete wolfenstein game they just did like a reskin of it which is kind of fun the wolfenstein 3d is in the in uh new order no there's only a mission inspired by it it's the same engine as the new order it's just all the graphics have been changed to the classic wolfenstein graphics another thing i liked about new colossus is it has these mission segments that you can go on which don't really happen in the last game so throughout the new Colossus, you pick up Enigma codes, which in the first game are used to unlock unlockables and collectibles and stuff. In this game, they're used to unlock hidden missions that you can go on. They're usually assassination targets that you go to a location you've been before, but it's slightly different. And it's kind of like a, a hard mode version of maybe a prior mission you went to. It definitely adds replayability to the game. And uh, I think that's one of the things I liked about the new Colossus a bit more is I can replay it and it feels pretty fresh from replaying it versus new order which i liked new order a lot but honestly i i've playing through it more than once i was like this game has not changed <laughs> whereas with new colossus it kind of feels almost fresh playing it um with some of the replayability elements but seth enough about wolfenstein what All about right. you what have you been playing we actually were recently playing teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge oh yeah which was oh yeah i could have just talked about that you, you could have we we uh you were probably playing wolfenstein at the same time might have uh, been. Uh, uh, I, I honestly might have been. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge was released just on June 16th of 2022. It was released by the company .emu, which worked on Streets of Rage 4 and Tribute Games. They teamed up to kind of bring back this nostalgia blast and create this modern beat-em-up game where you can play up to six players and you can play as any of the four turtles, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, and you could also play as Splinter or april o'neill and there is actually one of my favorite teenage mutant ninja turtle characters he is i would say my favorite good guy is your favorite character baxter stockman yes my favorite character is baxter stockman probably followed is there the rat king i actually i think i like all of the teenage mutant ninja turtle villains more than i like the teenage mutant ninja turtles i mean i don't it's not like i don't it's not like I dislike Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I just like the villains more. However, the unlockable character is not Baxter Stockman, unfortunately. It is Casey Jones, who is probably my uh, my favorite uh, hero. He's equipped with his uh, golf bag full of tricks, and you beat people up. So it's a traditional walk to the right, punch a lot of things. The action's very energetic in regards to what's going on screen. The sprites are a little smaller than I feel like the arcade had and i have yet to be able to replicate the ability to throw a ninja into the monitor or into the view camera that you're observing it is possible the though heard, it is it. it is possible to do it though but I, we didn't do it in the time that we played i liked that it was kind of a fresh beat-em-up game i liked being able to play the game cooperatively the steam version has online couch co-op so i can stream my game to 
anyone and they don't have to own the game and they can just play it they just have to be on steam and they can just start playing it which is great it also has co-op so if you're playing it on a big screen or if you have it on a console like a switch or xbox or playstation i may end up actually buying the game again on my switch but i'll probably wait till the physical copy is on sale it's a pretty fun game and i think it would be a cool party game uh i just need to get more controllers yeah i think they're up to six six yeah, that's crazy. That's great. If you have like four or five people over, you could just be like, you guys want to play Turtles? And it's got, it's not, it doesn't have any PvP, so... Uh, you can't hurt the other person, which gets annoying in beat 'em up games, especially when there's a lot of people yeah. beating up people. That is something that I remember you can do in Battletoads versus Double Dragon, and it was obnoxious. And Golden Axe. Oh yeah, Golden Axe. Well, the worst part about those games is you'll accidentally like lock into beating your friend up. Oh like yeah. In Golden Axe, you'll like grab your friend by the head and just start like cracking them with the axe over and over again. You're like, I can't stop because the combo's going. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, where you t- you take their the reptiles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, today we're talking about a game um, that is nostalgic for some. I don't know if it's really nostalgic for us, but it's mm. nostalgic for some. And uh, that game is Conquer's Bad Fur Day. It wasn't really marketed to us. Knowing our parents, I don't think our parents would have let us play Conquer's Bad Fur Day, um, considering we weren't allowed to watch like shows like The Simpsons or South Park or or Family Guy, which right. Conquer's Bad Fur Day is kind of in that line. But if it came out during the like Xbox era, then it might have been a game that I could have, I would have been possibly interested yeah, in. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. And then I would have been an adult. So, do do you have any memories of of Conquer's stuff? I do remember that I was uneasy with Conquer's. I observed a lot of the conquer's marketing material was predicated around conquer who is a squirrel hanging out with women who were usually scantily clad i always felt it was kind of off-putting having a squirrel kind of hanging out with almost like an over-sexualized human and it was just kind of weird in that animals shouldn't be sexualized with humans kind of way. And also, I remember that Conker's was kind of raunchy. It was very much like a lot of urination and pooping jokes. Yeah, I remember, uh, I think we had some family friends who had a copy of it. Uh, I remember at least seeing it on their TV and maybe playing the multiplayer for a little bit. So the multiplayer is like a four player. There's a bunch of different modes but one's like a four player almost like a first person shooter style multiplayer mission that is based on one of the prior missions in the game like i kind of remember that i also like kind of remember seeing the singing poop monster which we'll talk a little bit about do you know what you know what intersects in my head a lot when i think about conquer's bad fur day what's that banjo kazooie well yeah because they're the same people i think about conquer's bad fur day and I don't really remember a lot of the gameplay, but I do remember a lot of the gameplay about Banjo Kazooie. I just my brain decided to save space and just put them together as the same memory. I did have a copy of Conker's Bad Fur Day that I got a few years ago. I actually found it at a Savers for fifteen dollars CIB with the box, the manual, the cartridge. Box is in pretty good condition. Manual was a little bent, and then I sold it when I needed some money. Uh, I ended up getting just about a little over a hundred for it at the time, um, which 
to some people might sound ridiculous, but do I regret it? No. Because to be honest, I never really enjoyed Conker's Bad Fur Day. That might be a controversial opinion, but it just wasn't my style of game. I thought the humor was just kind of gross. It didn't make me laugh. It's the same thing for me. I don't find things that are written to be funny, funny. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. like, even, like, even if it's not crude humor, like, I don't find any games that are written so that they are, like, supposed to be funny uh, actually funny. I just kind of end up feeling like they're kind of, like, cringeworthy. Whereas, like, games that are serious, that have funny moments, like in uh, Dragon Age Origins, which is objectively a more serious game, there is a moment where Alistair, who is a fighter who hangs out with you, they're talking about swooping barbarians coming over hills, and he says, swooping is bad. And it's just a funny moment. And I find that humor more, especially in video games, I find that kind of humor more enjoyable and funny than games that are like written to be funny. We talked about this before. Seth and I grew up with a lot of British and European humor. I mean, we grew up reading Tintin and Asterix comics, which have their crude moments. But at the same time, I find that like British humor especially tends to be a bit more, I don't want to say sophisticated. It just tends to be dry. And, yeah. and that's, I think, type of humor that we prefer is we prefer a dry Wit. Yeah, we're just dry New Englanders. In any case, we'll talk a bit about the history of Conquer. We've talked about Conquer's developers before. We brought up Rare uh, in the British Invasion episode. Uh, but to remind our listeners and to anyone who hasn't gone back that far in our catalog, Rare was founded in 1985 by Chris and Tim Stamper. Before starting Rare, though, the brothers actually sold arcade conversion kits, uh, such as one that would be used to convert space invaders into Galaxians. In 1982, they founded a company called Ashby Computers and Graphics, though the company would be publicly traded as Ultimate Play the Game. Ultimate Play the Game primarily created games for the ZX Spectrum, or the ZX Spectrum if you're English, Amstrad CPC, BBC Micro, MSX, and the Commodore 64. The first game that they released was Jetpack for the Spectrum. The game was designed to specifically run on the 16K model of the machine, which the brothers admitted that they did this intentionally to keep the development time down for the game. Jetpack became a surprise success, selling more than 300,000 copies to a market of only 1 million users. So that's like less than half of the people who owned the Spectrum back then. So with the success came more games. The company soon followed with titles like Psst, spelled P-S-S-T, Trans Am with a Z, uh, and Cookie. In 1985, the company's catalog would be sold to a game developer called U.S. Gold, which I believe is a British company, but is called U.S. Gold. U.S. Gold being a subsidiary of Center Gold, uh, another company in England. Before the buyout was finalized, however, the name Rare Limited was starting to appear in some of their titles. Rare, as a company, originally evolved from the plan to reverse engineer the Famicom, which the Stamper brothers managed to import, and they started to play around with it. They were hoping they would be able to learn some of the secrets that the console had so that they could get a head start on developing games for the system. Nintendo actually heard about their efforts, and instead of suing them, they went and gave them a budget. They went to uh, Rare and saw the early tech demos that they did, and they said, here, have an unlimited budget so you can work on some Famicom titles. The brothers would go on to establish a new studio under the name Rare. Now, with this crazy amount of money, this unlimited budget rare got to work on games like rc pro-am which is amazing battletoads also very good also very tough double dragon 
also very good, and Sid Meier's Pirates, another really good game, and more. They developed a really incredibly close working relationship with Nintendo and became a second party developer for them. So you have first party, second party, and third party developers. A first party developer is Nintendo doing something. A second party developer is a developer who gets into a contract with a platform like Nintendo and goes forward with only developing games for Nintendo exclusively. A third party developer would be a developer who really just develops for whatever system that they can get their games on. Rare would actually go on to go and help create games like the Donkey Kong Country series and Killer Instinct. Rare and Nintendo, Rare and Nintendo were always kind of intrinsically linked uh, for a very long time. So from even the early days working on the Famicom to the time that the N64 was on its way to market, Rare was still considered a major player. Their first game for the N64 was Blast Corp and sold 1 million copies and was considered an internal disappointment due to the numbers. So for example, Donkey Kong Country sold over 9 million and Killer Instinct sold 3.2 million. Because of the lackluster sales, Rare would go on to split the company into different teams to focus on various projects. One of those teams would be working on GoldenEye 007. One thing I wanted to bring up um, was that the interesting thing about Rare and their relationship with Nintendo, we talked about a few episodes ago how Tengen tried to get the special deal with Nintendo so that they could produce more than five games a year. And Nintendo was very strict and only allotted third-party developers to develop five games a year. Same with Konami. Konami had to split their company up to be able to develop more than five games a year. Rare was the exception to the rule. Because Rare was the exception, they had that close relationship. Going back to Rare's history, they released GoldenEye 007. It's a smash hit. We did a whole episode on it. And after GoldenEye 007, Rare started work on Diddy Kong Racing, which was a kart racer similar to Mario Kart that came out in 1997. Diddy Kong Racing features Diddy Kong, who is the best friend in sidekick of Donkey Kong, and a bunch of friends who get their first appearance in this game. They're just kind of like random characters characters that they threw in that are also small animals. One of these is a squirrel named Conker. He didn't really speak in this game, but this would be the first time we see Conker, but not the last time we see Conker. In 1999, Conker would see his return in a game called Conker's Pocket Tales for the Game Boy Color. This game was developed shortly after the release of Donkey Kong Land 3, and it was originally intended to be Rare's version of The Legend of Zelda. The game was supposed to be this gothic, dark adventure title that they wanted it to be inspired by like gothic horror movies but developers were given access to a future n64 title that was being developed by rare by one of the other teams and they decided they wanted to make their game more in line with this game so they scrapped the gothic elements the dark themes and they decided to make the game lighthearted and friendly and thus we were given conquer's pocket tales now the game they saw being put into development became conquer's bad fur day because you see Conker's Bad Fur Day really started life in 1996. Tim Stamper wanted to make a game with a squirrel named Conker. He really wanted to make a game that was similar to Mario 64 and, you know, would be a platforming game that used this character. He wanted a cute squirrel in this family-friendly game so that he could appeal to the audience that was buying video games at the time, which were primarily younger people and families. And he really thought having this appeal would ultimately mean the game would be a success. In June of 1997, at E3, the game's title, Conker's Quest, would be revealed alongside 
alongside Banjo-Kazooie. Nintendo did a presentation and like put up a list of upcoming games. In an early article from N64.com that had access to one of the early builds of Conker's Quest, the game was intended to be a game that made players feel like they were quote-unquote playing through Disney's movie version of Bambi. Early gameplay was described as competent, which is always a good review, uh, but early reviewers also noted that the game had a cuteness to it that may put off older players. I think it was described as being like too cute, like overly cute, like gross cute. Don't worry, they'll fix that. <laughs> and in 1998, the game's name would change. It became 12 Tales Conquer 64. I heard that this change might have been due to the fact that there was a game called Quest 64 that came out, mm. and they might have wanted to avoid confusion with Conquer's Quest and Quest 64. 12 Tales Conquer 64 was set for release fall of 1998. The game at this point had both single player and two types of multiplayer modes. In this version of the game, Conquer walked around on all fours and also had a best friend named Barry, who was also a playable character. In 1998, E3 thoughts were generally positive with this game, with the graphics being one of the more talked about aspects of the game. One magazine at the time, Total 64, even suggested the game looked better than Ocarina of Time, which was also being demoed during the 1998 E3. However, some people criticized the game's design as being a ripoff of a 16-bit game called Mr. Nuts, which also featured a cute squirrel. And the nuts was with a Z because <laughs> yes. it's the 90s and Zs are cool. So remember when we mentioned the game was coming out in fall of 1998? That didn't happen. It was uh, delayed for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons was that the people who were working on the game ultimately were not having a good time. An engineer, Chris Marlowe, was quoted as saying, There was an awful lot of content and there were lots of fun ideas, but it, it was just really wasn't gelling as a finished game. It was around this time that the talk of the game being canceled began to circulate in various publications. As you see, when a game comes close to its release back in the 90s instead of going to early access they would just cancel it but publication started saying like is this conquer's game even going to come out and that's when someone at rare had an idea chris siever an artist for the company asked the stamper brothers if they would consider shifting the game to be less cutesy and more adult oriented he thought making the game edgy and violent would make it so that it could stand out from the the crowd of other games and to uh reinvigorate it the stampers approved it, and Seaver was made to be the project lead to take over the redesign. The game changed from this point on, turning the fun and family-friendly fantasy world and twisting it into a world full of poop jokes and violence. Conker went from being an innocent cartoon character to being a drunk who liked blowing stuff up. And, after all these changes were made, the game finally released in 2001, when it was originally supposed to come out in 98. Do you know what was close to being discontinued in 2001? The Nintendo 64. <laughs> Now, we talked a lot about Conker, a lot about its history, but how does this game play? Conker is very almost like a collectathon, but it's also very much not a collectathon. Because while it is similar to titles that are like collectathons, Mario 64, Banjo Kazooie, Donkey Kong 64, two of those being rare titles, you really only collect one thing in Conker. That's cold hard cash. For those who don't know, though, collectathons are platformers. It's another name for 3D platformers that were popular during this time period. Uh, typically, you had to collect a lot of 
specific items to unlock various things. Another example would be Spyro, which was considered a collectathon. In Conquers, you collected cash, but you also solved various puzzles and fought monsters and bosses. Um, and you did this using a variety of weapons, like slingshots, knives, shotgun, and you could also turn yourself into an anvil and smash the ground around you, because Conquer is a cartoon character, so he could do kind of outrageous things. The game is set in a place called Fairy Panther King's Kingdom. You play as Conquer the Squirrel, who after a night of drinking at a bar called The Cock and Plucker, gets drafted into the war. So he calls his girlfriend and says, honey, I'm headed home, but I'm going to be a bit late. And then he uh, gets even more drunk and wanders off and collapses somewhere and falls asleep. Uh, he wakes up and he is on a farm. And at this farm, he's given information on how to play the game. And this information is given to you both in the sense of like you learning how to play the game, but also Conquer is learning how to play the game because it is very like fourth wall breaky. From there, your adventure continues. Uh, there's various enemies that are after you, including one villain who's looking to turn you into a table. Not only are you fighting enemies and solving puzzles, but you also take on some bosses. Uh, one of those bosses is a giant opera singing sentient chunk of feces named the Great Mighty Pooh. I am the Great Mighty Pooh, and I'm going to throw my sh at you. You also at one point participate in a sequence that directly parodies Saving Private Ryan's opening sequence, complete with the amount of blood and gore that happens in Saving Private Ryan, but with squirrels. If you're not familiar with Saving Private Ryan's opening sequence, it's the invasion of Normandy. Uh, Seth, how did uh, how did Conkers do? It seems like it was a recipe for success. Before we get into that, I just wanted to talk about the size of the cartridge. Oh, yeah. In regards to space. Conkers kind of interesting. Nintendo 64, they're a uh, ROM-based cartridge system, and you had to be able to get the whole game on the cartridge, period. There was no downloading DLCs or anything like that. And the cartridge's sizes, though, would vary depending on the games. Games like Dr. Mario 64 doesn't really require a lot of space because it's Dr. Mario 64. So that may take up four megabytes. Resident Evil 2 and Conker's Bad Fur Day took up 64 megabytes. And when you have it so that there's more space on the cartridges in the internal memory, the cartridge is more expensive to make. So Conkers would end up being an expensive game for Nintendo to make. So Nintendo wanted to make sure that they were selling them before they made them. And did they sell them? How did it do? It was a flop. Conkers released March 5th in North America and it sold under 23,000 units. For a Nintendo 64 game, that's bad for a rare nintendo 64 game that's really bad this is the same company that got goldeneye out of the gate and that is a, that is the second best selling game on the nintendo 64 like 8 million copies and their opening their opening salvo for the game that brought us goldeneye is 23,000 units the following week sold 13,000 units and it looked like it was just gonna go down from there in the 90s and early 2000s games stayed in the zeitgeist a lot shorter of a time than they do today. Today, there are like things are always on Steam, people are rediscovering it. There's YouTube videos about people playing old games, people are recovering things. Like it's just like this endless cycle of people finding games, whether they're old or new, and moving on to another game. Back in the 2000s, before this was, you know, before YouTube was really a bit that thing, and the game came out, if you didn't sell well opening day, you were probably not going to pick it back up. Like the people who were going to buy the game bought it within the first month or so. And ultimately, 
recently. According to Nintendo Insiders, Conker sold less than 55,000 copies in its first month of release. It would go on to be released in Europe. Uh, however, Nintendo refused to publish it in Europe. They had no desire to publish or distribute it. They said, no, this game's not selling well. We're not going to sell, we're not going to try to sell more of it into another market. However, THQ would come and go and publish it and distribute it in Europe. So Europe, fortunately, did get copies of Conquers. Now, wait a minute, just for just a moment. The game at the time was a critically acclaimed game according to the critics. And Some State is one of the best games on the N64. According to Metacritic, which is an aggregator of reviews, it was a 92 out of 100. And that's coming from 19 different commercial critics, with most of the ratings from them individually being in the high 80s or 90s. In fact, Matt Casamassina, who started off as the editor of N64.com, which we referenced earlier, and he would go on to be one of the founding editors of IGN, wrote while he was an editor of IGN about Conkers, not only is it quite possibly the most hilarious title ever created, but the selection of crude jokes over the top violence and sexual content featured is only one-upped by the game's remarkably deep, well-paced level design, tightly knitted control mechanics, and beautiful graphics and amazing sound quality. This game was well-loved by critics for the graphics, audio, script. Everyone had different things to say, all positive. Why did it flop? It was a great game. Well, we've talked about this before. Sometimes bad games sell a lot, and sometimes good games sell not enough. There was a number of factors that led Two Conquers not ultimately selling the way it needed to sell. Possibly one of the factors was that Nintendo promoted the game directly to an older crowd, 18 years old and up, and refused to sell the game to anyone under the age of 18. And this game has a cute squirrel in it. <laughs> so Conquers wasn't marketed in a traditional Nintendo method. So it wasn't included in their main their Nintendo websites. It wasn't included in magazines like Nintendo Power. You wouldn't find it there. Instead, the marketing campaign for Conkers would target college-age males and be advertised in bars, colleges, late-night television shows, and adult magazines like Playboy and Maxim. There was even a video campaign called Girl Talk, where they depicted a half-naked girl and a squirrel in bed with each other after a night of partying. Also, the game even ended up on urinal mats throughout bathrooms within major cities with the URL for the game's website on the urinal mat, because urinating in the game is a thing, and they thought, well, it works. People will really look down and they'll figure out the uh, where the game is. Playboy magazine would go on to include a Conker's event type situation as they tore around campuses where people would compete in challenges and the winners would win Conker's merchandise, including copies of the game or a green N64. And Maxim had coloring book advertisements printed in the magazine where you could color in your own picture there. And one of them depicted Conker peeing on flames with the tagline, help Conker stop the bullies. Use your yellow crayon. So the marketing campaign was directed at not the usual suspects of people that Nintendo normally directed their marketing campaigns. It wasn't supported directly by Nintendo. It was released towards the end of the N64's commercial life, and it cost more to make. So they didn't 
didn't really want to make more of them. And ultimately, all of that led to really bad sales. Due to that low sale, low production, Conker's Bad Fur Day is one of the rarest, no pun intended, N64 titles on the system, ranking fifth, being beaten out by uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time, the collector's edition, not the regular edition, just the specifically the collector's edition, Majora's Mask, the not-for-resale gray edition, 007 Goldeneye, the not-for-resale gray edition, and Clay Fighter, Sculptor's Cut. So if you take all these these uh, not-for-resale or collector's edition cartridges out, Conker's Bad Fur Day is the second most rare game on the N64, with only Clay Fighter, Sculptor's Cut, another game that didn't sell well, beating it out. And at one point in time, Zach had the second most rare completing cop completing box copy and he sold it. Yeah. I I consider myself a collector, but I only like collecting things that I want to collect. And N64 games, I want to collect the games that I played. My grail for N64 right now is Gauntlet Legends. <laughs> Like, of all the games. But it's because I really want to play that again. That's my grail. But anyway, Conker left a legacy. Rare, you know, after the release of Conker, Rare began development quickly on the sequel. The sequel is going to be called Conker's Other Bad Day. The sequel, however, never came out. Uh, Rare was purchased by Microsoft in 2002, and Microsoft said, no, we are not making this game. Conker's Bad Fur Day was remade, actually, and released for the Xbox in 2005 under the name Conker Live and Reloaded. After Live and Reloaded, Rare began work on a sequel called Conquer Getting Medieval. This was also cancelled. And really lastly, a port of Conquer's Bad Fur Day, the N64 title, was included on Rare Replay, uh, which is a compilation of a bunch of Rare games for the Xbox One that came out in 2015. So my understanding on Rare Replay is not only is it a great collection, it is really the definitive way to play Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, and Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Because yes, playing them on N64 or original hardware is its own experience they run much better on an xbox one because these games were engineered to run on the xbox one for this version so they are smooth consistent frame rates clean graphics the works and uh yeah if you have an xbox one you can pick it up i think the rare replay is on game pass and uh, conquer also has made some minor appearances in other titles specifically one called project spark which is a sandbox game you kind of create things in this game and there was a episodic campaign for Project Spark called Conker's Big Reunion. Um, so that's the last we've heard of Conker. We haven't heard from Conker in a while. Rare doesn't really make games like they used to anymore. So uh, I don't know if we'll ever see Conker 2, the actual Conker 2 um, that they have wanted to make apparently twice at this point. Maybe one day we will see Conker 2, the sequel, the game, the experience. I read an article where um, they were talking about how it might have been a little different if they just waited a little bit and released it on the GameCube and your target demo would have maybe increased a little bit more because you would have had the N64 people getting a little older. Yeah, I don't know how long they would have been able to wait to put it on the GameCube because they were bought by Microsoft in 2002, which was when the GameCube Right, right, came right, right, out. right. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Like taking taking company purchases aside. Right. But that's the thing, right? It's it's hard to imagine what Conquer would have been like on the GameCube, especially because Nintendo wasn't going to change their practices. 
They were still going to mm-hmm. advertise it probably a similar way. Nintendo at the time was notorious, especially Nintendo of America, notorious for um, kind of a not understanding their audience when it came to advertising. In any case, if you have a copy of Conker's Bad Fur Day, don't be like Zach and sell it. Wait a bit. Maybe you can sell it for more. That's right. Unless the video game market bursts, then it's probably going to become worthless. Anyway, we're going to get into our retro rewind segment, unless Seth had a different name for it. I think retro rewind is, retro rewind is retro, fine. Retro rewind. Um, I looked it up. I think retro rewind is something that other people have done, but this is our version. <laughs> we could do. We could call it something else. What do you want to call it? I don't have a name for it. We can let our listeners decide. Yeah, if you have a name for this segment that's weird, but other people do, then let us know. Yeah. So to remind everyone, the Retro Rewind segment is a new segment that we introduced last episode, where instead of our traditional byway pass seth and i are going to be talking about some classic games that we played basically the idea is at some point seth provided me a game and i provided him a game and before this episode we played those games Uh, not necessarily right before this episode but in some cases who knows so we're going to talk about some retro games that uh we both shared with each other and uh the game that seth provided me was a game called jewel master uh jewel master released in 1991 by sega for the genesis it is an action adventure game where you play as the titular Jewel Master. The Jewel Master must walk around and use his magical rings to defeat enemies. The game actually feels a lot like another game called Mystic Defender, uh, to the point where I had to pause my game and being like, is this Mystic Defender? And look it up. It's not Mystic Defender. Mystic Defender is a different game, but they're very similar, at least in terms of gameplay. You, it's kind of like the style of Genesis platformer that existed, where you have this moderately larger size sprite of your character, and you just like punch monsters that come at you. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) that was was a bunch. Altered Beast was a lot, right? Yeah, actually, this also kind of reminds me of Altered Beast. Um, It also reminds me of, like, Castlevania, the uh, original Castlevania. But one cool thing I thought was the ability to swap various magical rings onto different hands. So you collect these magical rings, they all have different abilities, and you can put them on, like, one hand to do one action, and then another hand to do another action. The hands are designated as the A and B buttons. So one might cause a fireball to shoot out, while another might make your fist on fire fire when you punch so it's kind of cool to be able to mix around the abilities and stuff i, I liked the way you balanced this I-, I thought it was a neat gameplay mechanic that i i didn't dislike did it hold up the music holds up the music's really good i really loved the music the music is like prog rock and it's like it made me feel like i was like bumping to a mixtape someone made me it was so good uh, apparently it was inspired by yes so the question of does it hold up would i replay it maybe do i think other people should play it i don't know if you want to play a game that really feels like the 90s on the sega genesis play jewel master if that is not your speed if you think that game would bore you then do not play jewel master even the even the case is so 90s is it just like guy with it's the hand no it's just the one hand with like the rings he's like shooting lasers or something yeah it was fire i think i i love that game it's very very 90s when i used to see people play alter beast i thought that it was jewel master and i just thought jewel master was just some weird game that i dreamed up of but i'm a big fan zach gave me castlevania symphony of the night it was released in 1997 for the playstation one from the fine folks at konami i enjoyed it i played it on my rg351v which has the capability of playing playstation 1 games on the go i could have also played it on the switch i could have also played it on the switch because i have the castlevania collection i decided to play it on the rg351v because it was uh upstairs symphony of night is not part of the collection i don't think it's uh part of its own 
collection called Requiem, which includes Rondo of Blood and Symphony at Night. Well, anyway, I played it on my RG351V. Uh, it ran very nice and smooth, which is great because that means I might put more PlayStation 1 games on my RG351V. The Castlevania Symphony of Night is an action role-playing game in the Castlevania series. I never really got into Castlevania or to that point metroid because it's kind of like its own metrovania type of they spawned the metrovania style of games and i didn't play those style of games when i was a kid um so i kind of approached them as they are today and how fun they are for me you play as alucard throughout the game unlike you do not play as a belmont which is unique you do play as Richter Belmont in the beginning of the game where he has the chain but you do not play as Belmont throughout the game you play as Elucard who is like a um, vampire creature uh, he's a um, damp fear yeah he's a damp fear half vampire half human and he gets some pretty cool abilities I do like at the beginning of the game you play as Richter Belmont as like super powered and you fight Dracula and then you defeat Dracula and then it like does this transition and then you're playing Alucard and you're playing Alucard with like everything you're like top tier Alucard and then death comes and just takes everything away from yeah you. death is a jerk <laughs> which is interesting in this game is that and is different than a lot of Castlevania games is this has a role-playing element to it um you do level up in this game and you are able to pick things up and equip them which is really cool because you can kind of build out your own type of style of play so if you want to use like a two-handed weapon or a sword and board you can kind of pick and choose from what you have and kind of play that style the game for me uh came off as a little tough uh i did end up dying pretty early in the game and not only did it kick me to the main title it deleted my save game uh rip i think that was a feature like of the game like it's just like oh you suck you don't want to play this game again i'm guessing if i got to some sort of save point throughout the game maybe there was a way that i could have yeah i think there are specific save points. areas yeah, and i yeah. did not get there so you're probably like seth is bad at castlevania i got stuck in a part that's what happened like literally my character got pinned in an area against a bad guy but it is installed and ready to go at a moment's notice so i should have just flash dated when i got to a point but uh i didn't think that hard so yeah there's uh yeah castlevania symphony night does it hold up yeah i think so it blends right in with those other 2d 16-bit type of style games that i guess are not as popular as they were but they were pretty popular just a few not even a couple years ago there were everyone was, i think unlike unlike jewel master symphony of the night a is a much stronger intellectual property and b has a more evolved story throughout the game and has a bit more of a motif that i think people are still interested in playing so thus i'm gonna say it still holds up and that's gonna be it great for those of you who are listening at home and if you want to reach out to the Classic Gaming Brothers to let us know about your memories of Conquer, or if you have a suggestion for a better name than Retro Rewind for this new segment, please email us at ClassicGamingBrothers at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us via our Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, or Twitter. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Uh, be sure to like, subscribe, leave us all those ratings and such on the various podcasting applications we're on. And uh, yeah, make sure to leave us a review if you could on iTunes. That'd be great. You can also visit at our website classicgamingbrothers.com we have a contact form there and that's about all that i have to say i think that's everything for tonight i'm going to press end unless seth has something to add right about now seth do you have anything i'm gonna press end don't play games like my brother oh yeah and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's, that's right, right.